welcome to episode 50. It's uh, Small Milestone Waffle Coach Podcast. 50, 50 episodes. Today's episode, I've titled it the, the Angry Bearded Muscular White Man in the Distance. Of course, this is reference to the image of God that I have in my own mind that I had for so long. So today's episode, I'm going to break this down, uh, give you bits of my story, and uh, kind of where I am now when it comes to this image of God that I have in my own mind. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In episode 48, I talked about the power of the mind and the mental images that fill it. Uh, we, we, the, the idea that we visualize these pictures when we, we think of a person or a moment in time and when the memory hits our brains and it's like an image is downloaded. And even if it's just for a second, lots of us, uh, lots, lots of us uh, have lots of things that, that, that trigger these images, uh, right? We, we could be visiting a physical place from our past, like driving by that school building where we went to elementary or that community playground or that ball field where we play t-ball or it could be driving by that house that you grew up in, right? It could be a smell that reminds you of something, uh, reminds you of a place or, or a person. Like when I when I am listening to someone, my brain is, is visualizing what is being said and creating a mental picture based on what they are describing or, or saying. Uh, and, and that's how our minds work. Uh, these things, they just trigger these images that are downloaded. And even if, again, even if it's just for a split second, uh, they just pass through our minds. And what's even more fascinating is the fact that the, the images that most often occur in our minds ha- have an effect on us. They, 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 they exercise a great power over us, whether good or bad. And, and they can be helpful or, or they, can, they can hinder us. And, this this is something that I experienced when it came to the image of God that I held in my mind for so long. And this mental visualization uh, I would have when I would think about God, talk about God, when I pray about God, etc. Now, when, when it comes to our image of God, there, there are a lot of things that might inform that image. And this image may have been formed in you from when you were a child and then reinforced through all the images and languages and the metaphors and the the doctrinal concepts that surrounded you as you grew up. And and all of this has played a huge role in how you relate to God. And I'm just fascinated by all of this. And I think it's an important thing to think about. Um, In the next couple of episodes, I'm actually going to have a few people on the podcast to share with you their own experiences. And it's been a fascinating uh, topic. It's been a fascinating journey for me to sit and listen to others, explain kind of where they come from and how that image has was created and uh, how that's been reinforced, how it's been changed. Uh, it's been a really fascinating thing, and, and I, th- I hope that you'll benefit from it, enjoy it. Uh, but first, I want to share with you my own uh, image of, of God. But I think before I do this, though, it's important for me to say that but my approach here, it isn't from the perspective of a right or wrong thing. I'm not here to argue what's the right image or the wrong mental visualization of God we have in our minds. I'm, I'm more interested in where it came from and uh, whether it's, uh, you know, been helpful, hurtful, and how it's changed 
and uh, really those things that that are behind it because I think this conversation is extremely important uh, because there's lots of things that reinforce that prop up this image and uh, where those things have come from that's important to me um, and what are those reinforcements and uh, those are the things that that uh, you can look at and and really be able to get down to the root of whether or not uh, things are good or bad they're hindering you they're helpful um, etc. And so uh, that's why I think this conversation is, is, is important. Now, for, for the longest time, the, the image of God that I had in my mind was one of this angry, bearded, muscular white man in the distance. And so I want to take, uh, take a couple of minutes uh, to just kind of dive into my own experiences and, and uh, relate those to you. Um, as best as I can, and as far as I can see how they have affected me and kind of really where this image has come from. And, and of course, uh, I want to kind of wrap this up by explaining to you where I am now. And so, uh, first of all, where did this image come from, right? Um, this, uh, you know, this uh, angry, bearded, muscular white man who is in the, in the distance and well, I mean, it's really going to come back to my introduction to God. Um, I grew up in the faith. There, there, as a child, there wasn't the time when I can't recall not knowing about God, not, not understanding um, that this is a part of my life. Um, you know, I, I grew up in this stuff. I, I was raised in it. And uh, obviously, as a child, you grow and you learn more and more, and there are lots of things that inform, you know, these mental images that we have in our minds. Um, but I grew up as a child knowing about God, being taught about God, um, going to church. We were always involved in one way or or another. I mean, it was a central part of of our lives. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, my friends, um, you know, life experiences, uh, some of the uh, Majority of the memories that I have as a child really come from those experiences. You know, being in the church, sitting in classrooms. I remember the small tables and the chairs. I remember the classrooms themselves, how they were set up. The you know the old felt boards, and uh, we had uh, you know these um, boards all around the room that would be decorated, and uh, we'd be you know like teachers' aides to help you know teach these classes. I remember you know. Uh, as a child, couldn't you know? I couldn't wait for the the sermon to be done so I could, you know, run outside and play with friends. Of course, there's no running, um, you know. But uh, there was a. I remember one of the experiences I have was, uh, you know, the front of our church building had a porch and there was a tree, and uh, you know, the goal was to try to jump over that tree without touching it, but you couldn't jump too high because you know you'd smack your head on the board above you. Um, you know, we would have, uh, uh, there's trees everywhere, and they would drop these seeds, um, and uh, they were probably the size of, oh, I don't know, a little smaller than cherries, and, um, you know, we would, certain times a year, we would take those things and have wars with them and throw them at each other, right? We we did all kind of mischievous things as, as kids, uh, but, uh, but also, um, I can remember oftentimes listening and um, paying attention to things that were said. You know, you catch various things 
Um, and very early on, there was this, you know, I think as a child, the, the, you're taught mostly about Jesus. Um, I, I can recall more, more, I think, stories about Jesus, more the, uh, uh, you know, the mental images about Jesus. I mean, that's what I'm recalling right now, these, these pictures in my mind, these memories of sitting in these classes and, and, and going through these stories. Um, I know as we grow, grew older, I can recall more and more of the, the Old Testament and you know, stories and images of God. Um, and what he must be like. And, and quite honestly, um, it's not just the content that informs our image of God. It's how that content is portrayed. It's, uh, you know, I mean, if you could have a sweet old lady, you know, or let's say just a sweet person has a very soft and gentle mentality. And, and you know, they, they present these messages uh, quite different than someone uh, who is more abrasive. Um, and that does play a role in how you hear that story and uh, how it sticks in your mind. Um, and I think that, you know, over time, especially as I grew older and older, you know, most of the images, most of the stories, most of the portrayals of God, I think really centered around this concept that God, and, and really presented it in this, this way, that God was this, this angry person. He was angry. He was always angry because people couldn't, couldn't please him. Um, and he would be so angry that he would do things uh, to people. He would lash out. It's like he couldn't control his anger. Uh, and then, you know, there would be times of remorse. And I guess that's where the love came in. I'm not, not quite sure. Um, you know, growing up, hearing sermons, uh, you know, you'd have uh, these ideas of you know us not being good enough and God being always angry with us and it painted a picture in mind and it doesn't matter at this point whether or not that was literally the message that was trying to that they were trying to get across okay at this point it, it, it really doesn't matter it's how I perceived it it's how I received it and how the things surrounding it reinforced this idea of who God was I think you know from as a child and going into the teens, but really, you know, more of the more of the 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 what I would refer to as the adolescent part uh, time period, you know, God was this angry God, and we had to do things to try to appease Him. That was the image that I had uh, of God. Uh, part of that was reinforced by the adults around me. Um, they always seemed to be angry, and I don't know if it's because I was doing things that was, I was always a bad kid. Or if the, me and my friends were up to, you know, no good, or I, I'm not sure. You know, I do know that growing up in the church, I did get this impression that, uh, you know, uh, we, we really weren't, as far as kids and teens were concerned, it really didn't matter a whole lot. We were more like the thorn in the side of people, um, you know, again, because they were always angry. Uh, but I can recall, you know, there, there's some precious times, though, I can remember being in uh, together with other Christians you know, uh, eating meals and uh, just enjoying the various things that we did. Some of the sweetest memories I have was sitting in, in these pews and, and the smells uh, and the sights and the sounds. Sights meaning just the architecture of the building. It, there was nothing, nothing special about it. Um, you know, it was just very plain. No images, uh, no images whatsoever. Um, but our church was right next to a Greyhound bus station, and so every now and then you'd have this bus that would come through, and you couldn't quite tell 
what was going on outside. We had windows, but those windows were like mystified. Um, you couldn't see through them. Um, it was almost like someone melted them and put a bunch of swirls in them. <laughs> I guess that's the best way I can I can recall. Uh, and uh, you really you could it would allow some light through, but you really couldn't see in and out. Um, uh, nevertheless, those are some of the memories that I have that um, when I when I go back there that bring me some sense of comfort for for, for some reason um, and not quite necessarily sure why that's the case, but I can also recall the songs we sang, um, you know, and how they they're constantly reinforcing this idea that at least in my mind it was you know we 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 are so unworthy and god had to do so much for us and uh you know because of our unworthiness and that we should in turn you know respond in such a way that says i know i am unworthy and i know that i i i i, I am you know like a reprobate and um but but thank you for still you know doing this thing for me okay that was i guess a good summation of uh you know what uh the what i can remember as far as you know the stories surrounding god and how he was portrayed um of course there were lots of right things and wrong things lots of things you should do lots of things you shouldn't do lots of things that were okay lots of things weren't okay and i think i remember as i grew older more and more, the idea and it was implanted in my mind that there were there were more things that you cannot do than there are things that you can do. Right? The focus always seems to be on what you cannot do, and the question is the why. Well, because uh, you know you you're trying to please God, and the best way to please God is to not do the things that displease God. And so then again, there's this idea that God is after me. God is always angry with me. And it's like, there's nothing I can do to make him happy. And there's nothing I can do to appease him as long as I don't do the wrong things. And so you don't do certain things in worship. You don't do certain things, uh, you know, when, when you're gathered together in a building. You don't do certain things when, uh, you know, you go through your every day. And one of the things you don't do is you don't miss or skip out on the gathering times of worship. Because if you did, well, that displeased God in some way, shape, or form. And these are the the ideas that I grew up with, uh, how God was portrayed in sermons. Uh, you know, the preacher always seemed angry, right? Um, and uh, I, I guess I understand why I would take that as anger as, as a child now. Um, but again, all these things just reinforce this idea in my mind. Uh, and then then the, the way that I begin to learn how to interpret Scripture, um, you know, that— that plays a huge part, especially as a child. You're growing up and you go into your teens, um, and you notice what well, we don't. One of the things that I think, if I might step on a little soapbox here, is one of the things that we don't realize is that we are we are indirectly being taught how to interpret scripture according to the person who is teaching. Okay, we sit there for years in pews, and we have. You know, these teachers, these preachers, these pastors who come and they teach us and all they're doing is teaching us the way that they were being taught. Now, a lot of these guys will be in schools and spend years in school being taught, you know, hermeneutics and homiletics and you know, the science of interpretation and how to interpret what you read in scripture. And those things are all based on rules. They're based on 
um, certain uh, guidelines on how to interpret this and the things that the implications that you're supposed to take away from this. Okay, now you're not taught that, but they are. But then they come and they teach you, and indirectly, what they do is they teach you the same way that they were taught to interpret scripture. Okay, you hear that enough. And you walk away, not thinking for yourself necessarily, but listening to someone uh, and their interpretation, which is simply based on some rules that they are trying to follow and rules that you're not even aware of. Uh, that's how this works. Um, whether you know, good or bad, that's just the reality. And I learned how to interpret the things that you know, I, I, I was reading. Uh, although I remember as a child, it was one, one point, I remember grabbing my, I had a Bible and I'm, you know, I, <laughs> Maybe I should add something to this description. It's a God is a is an angry bearded muscular white man in the distance who is very confusing, because I would take this Bible, which was a King James version, and I remember there were times I had this small Bible and it was a zipper Bible. It was really cool. I thought it was really cool to have this thing, and I remember one day thinking, okay, I'm going to take this book and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to finally understand it. And so I remember grabbing this my Bible and sitting up in my my bunk bed and opening it up and started reading and wasn't soon soon thereafter uh, I went went long <laughs> I stopped because it's like this just doesn't make any sense and of course that's coming from you know a small child trying to decipher you know the King James version um, and that's what I had I wasn't even aware that there were other you know translations out there that were way better. Uh, and way improved, especially now, uh, today. Uh, nevertheless, all these things put together, and then my own life experiences, um, you know, with the church, with people in the church. Again, one of those things that I can remember is that the grown-ups always just seem angry. They were always upset, uh, always mad. Uh, they always came across that way. And when it came to God, all of a sudden, you know, you, you the services would start, and it almost seemed like everyone just became numb. And uh, I don't know if there was this sense of portrayal of respect or or, or, or honor or, or holiness. I, I'm not sure what was being, what people were trying to portray, but man, you, you, all of a sudden you step into this building and everything changed. Everybody looks different. They're dressed different. And I don't know, people give arguments for why and this, that, and the other, but that's, a, that's irrelevant to me because I'm just thinking about this from my perspective as a kid going into my teens. Um, and But as soon as that final amen was said, everyone would relax and slowly turn back to normal. Um, it's like we would be stuck in time in this one space. And somehow that just that space itself was sacred. And uh, you didn't want to miss out on that sacred space. So you come back every time this sacred space would present itself, right? Come back together. And the things you did within that time period really painted an image of God. But then the things that you experienced outside of that, right, would either reinforce it, would cause you to question it, uh, present new ideas for you. And so other experiences in my life either coincided with this image that was being portrayed or really made me question it. 
Um, when it came to, you know, all the way, I could say this all the way up into my 20s, when it came to God, when it came to who God was and his expectations of us, God was angry. And he was someone that I had to appease. I think that the adult figures in my life, whether they were directly in my life or indirectly, you know, they always seemed angry, so they weren't happy. Um, that should tell us something. They weren't happy, and I remember constantly feeling like I had to try and appease them as well. And so one of the things that we do is, I think sometimes with God, is we personify ourselves, we portray ourselves, we turn God into us or into the people around us, or you know, because we allow the people around us to inform us of who God is. And of course, God was a person. Right, um, I could not think of him as nothing other than a person, and but he was angry. He was angry, and I had to watch out. I had to watch out. I never knew if I was on his good side. You had to be prayed up, confessed up, and every little thing you do, you know, you had to ask forgiveness for it, um, because God was angry, and you know, he it almost it almost it was almost like God could not wait to punish me. Right, he couldn't, and quite honestly. And, and, and again, you know, I'm not blaming necessarily the adults in my life, um, and I'm not talking about any specific adults. I'm just talking about in general. Um, you know, I, there were times where I wasn't a good kid. I, mean, I, was, I was a bad kid at, in, at times, and I deserved punishments that I got. Uh, but, man, it sure felt like I was always in trouble. And these parents, these... Uh, you know, uh, these adults, whether it was at home, you know, friends, parents, whether it was, uh, you know, in school, whatever, wherever, at church, wherever it was, I was always in trouble. And I could not understand why am I always in trouble. And, uh, and so authority figures in my life always seemed to be upset with me. And God always seemed to be upset. So I guess that's just the way that, that it is. And you can only imagine as I grew into, you know, a, a younger man and then into my adult. Uh, how uh, eight years, how that affected me. And uh, I did. I was an angry person for a time. But again, there's lots of factors, lots of reasons behind that. Um, and I'm not blaming one thing over the other. It just was. Okay, that was just my perspective. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that perspective was 100% accurate. But God was angry. He was angry and uh, he was uh, he, he was uh, bearded. <laughs> I'm not sure where the beard came from. I think the beard comes from just... Just you know, artwork, uh, pictures in Bibles in school, in the um, you know Bible schools, and uh, you know the movies. And these people who lived in the past were always portrayed as rough and bearded. Uh, I, you know, the beard didn't necessarily have anything to do with wisdom for me. It was just he was bearded. You know, uh, a lot of men in my life uh, growing up were bearded. Uh, it was a natural thing. Um, you know, and God was a man, so he had to be, he was bearded because he was an old man, right? Um, he was an angry old man. But in my mind, God was not just this angry old man, but he was a muscular man. Uh, he had power and he had this amazing ability to do things. But quite honestly, I think that picture came more from or related more to the Greek gods and uh, specifically Zeus, uh, you know, other images that you'd see. In movies and cartoons or, uh, and, you know, coloring books and pictures of God, who he was. You know, and he was a white man. He had to be muscular. Um, now, part of, I think part of that image, part of, part of that came from myself as a kid. 
uh, in my desire to be muscular. You know, as a young boy, I was um, extremely skinny. <laughs> I was skinny and tall, lanky. Um, you know, the only thing I had going for me is I had wide shoulders, and so I looked a bit boxy when it came to, you know, the upper body. But I, I, I got picked on a lot. Um, you know, kids can be cruel, man. Man, they could be mean. Uh, but, I, you know, I got picked on a lot because I was extremely skinny. Uh, you know, I couldn't eat enough. I had a very high metabolism. Uh, I was constantly going, lots of energy. I could not gain weight, but I had the strong desire to be muscular. And, uh, you know, I looked up to people who were muscular. Um, and, you know, maybe some of that you know, it was portrayed upon God indirectly, maybe subconsciously. I don't, I don't know, but I do know that there's a connection there uh, within my own desires uh, to be bigger. And so I wouldn't be picked on, essentially. And man, I, <laughs> all the way up into, uh, through high school, uh, you know, into, uh, you know, late teens, you know, I was extremely skinny and, um, you know, dealt with a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of angry kids who were just mean. Uh, but nevertheless, um, you know, I did have a desire to be muscular, and maybe that's where that came from. Not not quite sure. I think it was a multitude of things. Um, and you, we automatically connect this concept of power, of strength to, to muscle. And that's not necessarily always the case, but I think on a very fundamental level, on a ba- very basic level, should I say, um, that's what we do. That was the connection, at least in my mind. But of course, God was white. He was a white man. Um, and part of that has to do with his portrayals. You know, God, Jesus, think about it. Jesus, what's the saying? Uh, Jesus was uh, oftentimes depicted as this, you know, like he's from California, white, blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, and I think that is just, and then if you see a different picture, right, if Jesus was a was a darker colored man, you know, we have, we have, uh, you know, hissy fits if I, you know, because, well, that, uh, you know, we struggle with that. We wrestle with that because no, 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 Jesus, Jesus is more like me. How can he be more like you? Um, the reality was Jesus was a Jew. Didn't look like any of us unless you were a Jew or from the Middle East. Uh, that, that's, that's the reality. But Jesus was a white man to me. And I think part of that has to do with the images that were depicted, and part of that has to do with my own race, who I am, um, you know, a white man. And, of course, um, without any idea or any indication that, um, you know, especially related to Jesus, that there would be any other image. But God, God was a white man. That's how he was depicted in the pictures. That's how he's depicted um, you know, in movies, that's how he's depicted in my mind. And so when I'd read or hear, listen, think, I would directly connect God to be someone like me, right? And there we go. We portray ourselves and we put ourselves, we create God in our own image uh, in that way. Um, so he was an angry, bearded, muscular, white man. And again, I, I get it. You know, a lot of the language in Scripture, uh, masculine pronouns are used to talk about God. Uh, but I never questioned why, you know, why, why the maleness, why the masculinity, right? Uh, why would you? Why would you question any of that? And so, and then you have this concept of authority and the authority figures and the role of men and the role of women constantly being reinforced, not just in the church, but also in the culture. People don't understand that. 
Oh, that's another discussion for another time. Uh, But, you know, men were in control, and God is in control, so God's a man, right? He's male in that sense. Um, And, of course, I still had some questions around, you know, all of this, uh, this manliness thing, this God being a man image, um, because he's God and he's not a man. Um, and I struggle with the concepts of the Trinity, like most people do, and I think we all should. Uh, we think we've got it figured out. Maybe what we th- if we think we have it figured out, uh, we probably haven't got it figured out. Uh, um, nevertheless, so God was this angry, bearded, muscular white man, and but he was off in the distance. Yeah, he he was he wasn't around. Like you know. <sighs> I didn't understand this, right? God's supposed to, God, God, God hears my prayers, I'm told, so I pray. But it didn't seem like he answers them. Bad things still happen. Uh, as a child, lots of things happen to us. Um, I remember this one time, oh, I can't remember how old I was, but our house caught on fire in the middle of the night. And um, I get woken up by my mom. Um, and, you know, the house is filled with smoke, and we all have to run outside and basically watch our house burn up. And our next-door neighbor, you know, she kind of took us in that night, and, you know, I remember her, and I was a, I was a young, young child, and I, I can't remember how old I was, but I also remember her saying, we were sitting in their living room, and there's lots of adults, there's lots of activity, of course, as kids, we're we're in shock or we have no clue what's going on. We're just sitting there as oftentimes we do trying to process what's happening. And, you know, I I remember her saying this. Now, if there is a God, how could he allow this to happen? Look what he's done to these kids. Look what this is doing to this family. And, you know, her implication, I believe, or maybe even she said it outright, I can't quite remember now. Um, you know, was that this right here proves that there is no God, okay? Uh, and for me, it was, no, there's a God, but where is he? <laughs> where is he? Uh, at this point in my life, I wasn't questioning whether or not there was a God. I mean, you just believed what you were told, right? You're, you're handed this tradition. You're handed this faith, and you have to eventually grow into into your own. And... So God, for me, was just constantly in the distance. Um, you know, prayers just seemed pointless, quite honestly. Prayers were just the avenue by which you'd ask for forgiveness. Most of the time, you know, most of the prayers you heard, I heard, uh, at one point or another in that prayer, maybe multiple times, it was, uh, and please forgive us of our sins, right? Um not not saying it's a bad or good thing, it's just the reality. That's It just was. And that seemed to be all that prayer was really good for. Um, you know, if you didn't pray, God would be angry with you, but he didn't understand why you would pray because God would not speak. God would not be there. Um, you know, and I didn't quite understand these concepts. It seemed like God really didn't care because... You know, a lot of the things that you read in, in the Bible, a lot of the stories you, you hear about God, um, and, and it seemed like he cared for people in the past, specific people, but and it looked like he had done these specific things for them. 
but that time was over, and God really didn't care about us. Uh, he cared more about these people, whoever they were. And you read about them in the Bible. And your experiences did not relate to or run parallel to their experiences. What they experienced of God and what you experienced of God, two different things. And so the conclusion that I would come to, that I came to, was essentially, okay, well, God cared for them, and it's through them, these people, right, that we can learn and understand more about God. Um, but and without them, you really wouldn't know anything. And so, you know, at that point, you have to rely upon them because that time's over and God's off somewhere else. And we're kind of left here to try to figure things out. Yeah, we're, we're just uh, we're just trying to, you know, figure out what's going on, what 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 makes them happy. Um, and it wasn't until especially that idea was reinforced as I grew older and, you know, I, I sought education when it came to Bible and scripture and church. And I, I'm getting into ministry at this point in my 20s. And I learned a lot about why we interpret scripture, why we interpret scripture, why we understand what we understand, why we approach the Bible the way we approach it. And a lot of people don't really realize a lot of these things. And again, these are more discussions for another time. Uh, but especially in my own tradition, um, really it all stemmed down to, okay, we have this New Testament and what what we want to just be New Testament Christians. And so what's what's appropriate to do in worship? How do we worship God? But it wasn't very clear um, on what would be acceptable, what's not acceptable, because let's just be honest, New Testament don't talk a whole lot about worship, especially if we're looking at worship and thinking about what, what ex- have the expectations of it to tell us uh, what to do like we see in the Old Testament. Um, that's not there. And so we came up with this system of interpretation to decipher. That's the key word, decipher, to decipher what we think is okay, what we think God wants. And really, it's a big guessing game. And we become, uh, I don't know what the right word is here, uh, minimalist, I guess, maybe. Um, I'm sure there's a better word here, but where it's okay, let's just make sure we don't cross this line. This seems to be okay. Let's make sure we don't cross this line and make God angry and displeased with us. And our tradition is really built around that. Um, and I remember just being so upset when I learned about a lot of things and thinking, wow, like we really, we really don't know. Um, we really struggle with this and we've really kind of just created this, this, this structure around which we kind of, you know, keep ourselves sheltered and safe. Like what's, why is that any different than the Pharisees who created rules to protect you from breaking other rules? Um, you know, you consecrate these fences, these boundaries to keep you in a cocoon and sheltered uh, so that you don't, you know, cross this line when the line really is not very clear. And so, you know, obviously that that had a lot to do with uh, a lot of shaping to do with uh, uh, that had a lot to do with how, uh, you know, um, I begin to see God. And question a lot of these things, and whether or not, well, wait a minute, maybe either see God's off in the distance here, and He's kind of left us to figure this stuff out, or maybe it's the case that we're focused on the wrong things. Um, I, you know, and that's what I, I believe we're focused on the wrong things. Ultimately, that's the conclusion I came to. But nevertheless, 
that's kind of where this image of God, and there's a lot more other factors involved in this specific instance with people, with my own experiences in life, things not always going so well for me. Um, and then, you know, the, all those things just constantly reinforced and propped up this picture of God. He's an angry, bearded, muscular white man who's just off in the distance, okay? And the songs that we sang, the way that I would hear prayers, the way I was taught to pray, you know, the sermons that I listened to, that I watched, that I saw, that I, you know, sat there and experienced, um, the way people talked about God, the movies that are portrayed, right? Who hasn't watched uh, the, the Charlton Heston movie, right? Well, Moses, and uh, I, I still enjoy watching that movie more because it reminds me of my childhood and uh, less because of actual events or maybe how things might have actually happened or because of Scripture or whatever. Um, but then, you know, being all these things kind of reinforced this image. And then, you know, I was inadvertently taught how to interpret Scripture, and then I was taught directly how, you know, this construct that was created um, by which, through which, in which we interpret Scripture. Um, and then, of course, my experiences with, with prayer, prayer, quite honestly, and I've talked about this before, seemed pointless. Why pray? Uh, God supposedly already knows what we need. You know, it's almost like he's just teasing us, right? It's like he's teasing us. And uh, just wants us to beg, as it were. And again, people will throw scripture out there and make arguments. And I get it, okay, but here's what here it is. Here's, here's where I was. Um, and there's the struggles that I had. And these are things that we need to be aware of. Because I've always been a person, well, I say always, um, there, you know, there was times where I needed an answer, right? I needed an answer. And I would be okay with a good enough answer, but I wouldn't just still settle for that. It would give me the ability to say, okay, this seems good enough. There still seems, seems to be some things that are off with this, um, but that's okay for now. I'll continue to wrestle with it. Okay, so I guess I can say that I've never been okay with just settling for any answer. Okay, like either this stuff is real or it's not. I don't need this to try to make it through life, right? This is either the reality or it isn't. And if it's not, let's figure out what that reality really is. And so my experiences with prayer and questions I had around prayer as a result of, you know, me seeing God as an angry, bearded, muscular white man who was off in a distance and uh, we were left here just to kind of figure things out on our own. I struggled with prayer. Um, you know, you know, how people talked about God reinforced this picture, this image of God in my mind. Um, God wasn't loving, man. God was not loving. Um, even if people said it, it didn't register because the image that was mostly reinforced of God did not portray God as a loving God, man. That's not, it just wasn't loving. I didn't see that as loving at all. And I wrestled, I struggled with that. And when you say God is love, there really was no image that came to my mind. He said, well, he loved the world that gave his son. Yeah, but there are some things about that. And I was struggling and wrestling with thinking, but how is that love, man? Like, like, wow, God punishes himself. Uh, He was so, here's the picture, right? He's so angry with us that, uh, that, you know, he's about to strike us. And then Jesus steps in and God says, you'll do. Um, and God basically appeased himself by killing himself. Like, there's just a lot of things that I wrestled with. Uh, with and, you know, I didn't have a safe place really to ask 
these questions. And these are things that I just had to wrestle with on, on my own in so many ways. Uh, but again, how people talked about God, this image of God. And quite honestly, I didn't see God as loving. Uh, in fact, I don't recall any messages, any sermons about, you know, the teachings about how God is love beyond just, you know, death. And and again, I, I, I get it. I understand the scripture now that, you know, I, I this idea that no greater love than any man can show that he laid down his life for another. But man, there was so much about this process and so much about things that happened before and even the images of God that were portrayed and how God was talked about after that, that it really overshadows this concept of love, if we're honest, man. And you know, I don't recall any any images, any stories, any any portrayals of God being like love and really what that means and what that entails. Um, and you know, in fact, it wasn't until I preached on God is love and learning about First Corinthians thirteen and unpacking that and wrestling with that that I realized, man, I've never heard this. Uh, you know, I've never wrestled with with this i these ideas of God. Like, what have we been missing all along? Um, and I guess that's where uh, things began to deconstruct for me, right? This image of God. And so as I look back and I, I, I question, you know, were these images helpful? This, was this image helpful? Um, you know, did it have any negative effects? Was it a hindrance? You know, maybe, maybe it was helpful at times. Right? Maybe it was helpful at times. Um, it'd be kind of hard for me to just simply go back there and you know, try to figure out at times when it might have been helpful. Maybe, you know, I was such a bad kid. I think I was. I mean, <laughs> I think I was. Uh, I guess my mom would, you know, be able to uh, verify <laughs> verify what that was like. Um, but again, she had her own experiences. So maybe I wasn't as bad as, as, I, as, I, as, as she thought I was, uh, if she thinks I was. Uh, nevertheless, I, I, I wonder if, if, you know, maybe... Maybe one might say, well, you know, being such a bad kid or maybe, you know, um, you know, having some sense of fear that you might get in trouble and to not get in trouble. Uh, maybe it was helpful there. But but quite honestly, all I would do is try to figure out ways to not get in trouble, to be able to do the thing I wanted to do and not get in trouble. And so you get really good at being sneaky. Uh, that's kind of how that worked out for me. Uh, so maybe it was helpful at times. Um, of course, I wouldn't be where I'm at without the upbringing, without the teaching, without all those things. And so uh, it's not about, and everyone goes through it. So it's 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 not about right or wrong necessarily. Okay, it's just about it just was, and it's how I perceived it, and it has more to do with how I perceived it than it has anything else. Now all these all these other ways in which it was portrayed, and and yeah, those reinforce and those have have an effect. Um, but at the end of the day, it's my perception. Um, and when I look back now, looking back, I have a harder time seeing how it was helpful, um, because it did lead to a lot of heartache. It did lead to a lot of damage. It did lead to a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. Um, in a lot of ways, it wasn't, it wasn't helpful. You know, I'll go to a church, I went to a church that was very rigid, very fundamentalist, very legalistic, I guess, what other words we use nowadays to describe this very strict order of things. And if somebody messed up, you know, the concept of grace was foreign. What is grace? I didn't mean anything. Grace is just God's attitude. Oh, he's, you know, and God's saying, hey, everything's going to be okay. Right. Oh, like like a mom kissing, you know, a, a scrape of, on, on a child's elbow or, or, or face. And um, but really, you know, yeah, you have a hard time seeing how everything is going to be OK. Grace really, really wasn't a concept that I grew up with at all. Um, and 
neither grace nor love. And, uh, and so if you messed up, that's it, man. Uh, you messed up. And when you messed up, the church had a way of addressing that and dealing with that and the way in which they did that. And it has been proven over the centuries to be a very bad, uh, bad thing, a very negative thing. And it had, it had the opposite effect of, uh, I think, what people might have thought it should have had or wanted to have. Um, it pushes people further and further away. Um, and because it's not done in love, people aren't approached in a, a place of grace and faith and trying to, you know, understand their perspective and what's going on. It's, look, you broke the rules. You, you got out of line. Um, really was no different than being stopped by a cop, you know, for a ticket. And uh, where you didn't realize you had made a mistake, right? Um, that's not their, they don't see that as their, their problem. You can easily get a cop who's like, look, I don't make the rules. I just follow them. You broke it. Here's your ticket. Um, and so the way that, uh, you know, people were treated when they failed to live up to certain standards just was not in a loving way and really portrayed God the way that people saw him. And so people begin to act like God. And God, if God's angry, well, guess what? You have you feel the justification in being angry and treating people with a lack of dignity and respect and love, and so how you you know and then it's okay it's okay, and especially if you don't see God as love, like you might say that, but that doesn't really connect. Like there's no there's no connection there. Um, you know you don't really know what love is, and so from that perspective. Um, how are you going to act like it, right? How are you going to be loved? Like it's, it's going to be a very difficult thing to do. And so, you know, some of the, my, my experiences um, with church, with other Christians, uh, when we messed up, <clears throat> when things, you know, we didn't live up to certain standards, um, how they treated us in general, I remember as a, as a teen, you know, looked down upon. We were just that riffraff. We were kind of, uh, you know, we, look, we struggle. You know, teens. I mean, we, we're figuring things out. You're growing, maturing. All the all the pressures of life. You know, all of the stresses. You know, the hormones, everything else. It's almost like adults tend to forget, right, that they were teens once, and 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 these are the things that we experienced and went through as well. And as times change, you know, uh, there's other challenges, and um, you know, we don't make efforts to relate to them or try to figure things out and walk along with them. And so you're kind of just out there on your own, again, trying to figure it out, which makes sense because if you're an adult trying to figure this stuff out, uh, how are you going to help, you know, those who are younger than you? Uh, I would argue that you still could, but nevertheless, um, you know, that, that, that was the situation. You know, maybe it was helpful at times, um, but I have a hard time seeing how this image of God was ultimately going to be the most helpful for me, okay? Um, it had negative effects, and it did hinder. And what ended up happening eventually is that I gave up. I gave up on God. I'm like, this is, you know, it ultimately led to me to believe that, man, this is this is not real. Um, this doesn't make any sense. And I walked away more agnostic than atheist, um, just saying, I don't know. Something still tugged at me, though. Something still told me that there's more to life than what we see. There's more going on here. Um, and uh, I went through a phase of my life for many years uh, where God was not there, and I was not trying to pursue faith. I was trying to pursue, first of all, trying to escape. Okay, But then in, 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 in escaping, um, I also was looking for what else is there. 
what else is going on? What's behind the scenes here? Uh, what's happening? Why are things the way that they are? Um, you know, what's the secret to life, if you will? You know, uh, where do we come from? Why are we here? All those things that faith is supposed to answer for you, right? Um, I still, be, I still pursued that. Um, and then, and then I come, I, and then eventually, eventually, I came alive. I, that's the only way I can explain it. You know, I, I, I realized. Look, look. I know there's got to be more to life than this because then it seems pointless. And I was willing to leave behind all of a sudden my my life, my reality of the partying and the drugs and you know whatever else was in my life that was not helping me fulfill right this this quest if you will of what's going on what what's behind all of this and what's ultimately going to lead to living a fulfilled life right and now i would say it this way what's ultimately going to lead me to being truly human as as we are designed to be to live right uh, in in such an, an order uh, orderly way and i don't say that in a militaristic way but just in a way in a sense that we really can experience life and um and be fulfilled right so um eventually i do my path my journey leads me back to back to god and again searching again right starting all over as it were with some history now right with some previous experiences um and um what i didn't realize was that ultimately that would lead Okay, to what's commonly referred to now as a deconstruction phase for me, especially with this this image of of God. And one day, what I realized is that this image of God that I had, you know, this angry bearded, muscular white man off in the distance, the things that I had learned my journey, where it took where it took me, and what I believe. And some would say, and, and I agree, God showed me, as, as it were, uh, some of the things that I was opened up to and realized, right, um, led to basically me losing this image of God. One day, all of a sudden, I realized it was gone. I can't tell you when it happened. I can't tell you how it happened necessarily. I can give you an idea of the journey, which could be another, another, another discussion. But one day I wake up and I don't have this image anymore. And to be honest with you, I, I question like, okay, so does this mean I don't believe in God anymore? Like, I don't have this image. Like, how am I supposed to perceive God? Um, and uh, that deconstruction phase is ultimately, you know, what led me to this. Um, all those things that reinforce this this image of God that I had in, in my own mind. Uh, but when those things were taken away, all of a sudden this image falls. It fails. And in so many ways, it just disappeared. Um, so what happened to it, right? Well, I- I'll list a few things here. Uh, I began to actually look at Jesus, right? Um, I began to look at Jesus as a filter, as um, the lens through which I should understand God. And, you know, because Jesus said, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And so let's look at Jesus. Uh, Jesus, who over and over again said that he did what 
he does what the Father does, right? He would do what the Father So in other words, what we see Jesus do and what we expect of Jesus is what we should expect of God, okay? Now, I know that that, that, that brings up a lot of questions, right? Like, so what are these images of God that you read about in so many other places? And how do we, how do we make sense of this? How do we make it all fit together? Well, here's the thing. There's still lots of questions that I have, lots of things that I wrestle with. And, and, and quite honestly, at the end of the day, it may not all fit together. It may not. You have other people who are telling of their experiences of God, okay? Um, and sometimes that does not, it doesn't run parallel. It doesn't fit in a nice, neat, neat place. And God does not necessarily act the way we think he does. Our expectations of God aren't necessarily correct, and we have to be okay with that. There's a bit of mystery, not just a bit. There's a lot of mystery behind this, but we have to have an answer, right? We feel like we have to have an answer for everything. We have to explain everything away. Well, that's the problem because when you try to explain everything away, right, you get stuck and you get settled on these specific explanations of things that could be right or could be wrong. And if they're wrong and you believe in them, you know, they'll lead you down all kinds of other paths. And there are things that, that will seem to contradict. And some of those contradictions you just overlook and you move past them. And those might be some extremely important things to wrestle with and understand. And so I began to look at Jesus. I began to look at God through the lens of Jesus, period. Period. And, and quite honestly, when I, I learned that that's, that's what the, the, the church did, they began to read Scripture, which, which the Old Testament, which is what they had, through the lens of Jesus. They began to understand it through the lens of Jesus. Uh, and it's interesting to see that the parts that they really focused on, right, um, and, and helping them understand God through Jesus, okay? Uh, and I think there's so much more to learn about that. But Part of my deconstruction was looking at Jesus and saying, this is how I need to see God. This, this is God. Okay, um, And that slowly chipped away uh, at these, this, this image that I had. Um, you know, I, I mentioned I've seen God as a man, right? Um, specifically a male. You know, we can talk about the man part and you realize that, you know, you're seeing God as a person, and that's not necessarily the wrong thing. We we have images that help us, the, the you know, to 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 think about and wrestle with things, and and that's okay. Uh, but I specifically saw God as a male, right? Um, and and I get the Bible uses male pronouns to refer to God as He, okay? Um, but here's the deal. You know, I wrestled with this. God is God's not male in this biological sense of being a male or female, right? When you think of a male, there's specific biological factors that differentiate a man from a woman, male from female, right? But here's the thing. God's a spirit, and he's not male or female. His maleness or his femaleness or whatever, his maleness is not male like it is in the biological sense for us, okay? Um, now, you know, God's a spirit. John four twenty four, right? Um, I think that transcends this sense, this biological sense of male or female. Now, when God was revealed in the flesh through Jesus, right, he was born as a male. And so in that sense, one might say God is male in the biological sense, right, in the person of, of Jesus. Um, but then I also learned some things about the Hebrew language and Hebrew scripture, specifically things like, 
I'm told the masculine gender in Hebrew is not only used to refer to the biological maleness, but it is also used to refer to most things which uh, have no inherent gender. Okay, um, and I mean because it's a male-dominated masculine uh, society and culture, um, and women were property. Let's just be honest. And the very little dignity is almost like women were treated like they were not human in so many different ways. Um, however, what's interesting about this, you know, this the way the masculine is, and this is important. So things that don't have any inherent gender, the masculine gender is oftentimes used in the Hebrew language. However, I learned that the noun for the Spirit of God used in Genesis is specifically and distinctly feminine. And the verb used to describe the Spirit's actions is specifically and distinctly feminine as well. And so when you look at Genesis and it said the Spirit moved, this is interesting. The word moved means to soften to relax, to flutter, we might say to hover, right? Spirit moved. Even the the words that are used depict for us the sense of something different than this masculine picture that is oftentimes portrayed by the Hebrew language. Um, And it seems that even throughout the Torah and the Hebrew Scripture, right, the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures, that the Spirit of God is perceived as feminine. They don't preach that. Okay, they don't teach you this stuff. And then on, on, on top of that, at least they did in my day. On top of that, my day, I'm acting like I'm 80. Uh, I'm only 40. Uh, but they did not to me. I, that, that was not my experiences. Now, on top of that, Genesis 1.27 says that God created man. The term man here is most often used to refer to mankind. Some people translate, ah, it's just so ridiculous, I think. But some people translate this by saying, well, God created man, speaking of the male, right, uh, Adam. And then that's why Adam is superior to males, but superior to women. Because women, God created man, only man after his image. And then females were created after man's image because of the rib, etc., etc. But here's... That's, God created man, a term used most referred to throughout Scripture as mankind, in his own image. In the image of God created he him, and I would suggest that that him there has everything to do with mankind. Okay, And remember, there are reasons why the masculine is used, was used in Hebrew Scripture. Part of that has to do with, well, a lot of that has to do with culture, if not most of it, right? Uh, but then he says, listen, in his own image, he created him. Male and female created he them. So here's the point. In God's image, the male and female gender was created, which suggests that God transcends socially constructed ideas of gender. In fact, when God tells Moses, I am who I am, it's simply a mixture of to-be verbs in the Hebrew without any specific reference to gender, which indicates God is simply being. Or as the New Testament states, God is spirit. Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong referring to God as masculine. It's done throughout the scripture. But what we need to understand, with all of this, and this is the conclusion I came to, coupled with the various images of God depicted throughout scripture, 
various images, depicted of God, God as being a pregnant woman, God as being lots of different things, lots of different images are used. Put all these together, what has led me to realize that I can't limit God to masculine pronouns or images, which is oftentimes what, what we do, okay? When I learned that, and again, I'm, there's not, I don't think there's anything wrong with referring to God as, 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 as in, in the masculine sense, okay? But let's not limit God to that construct, okay? Um, you know, throughout Scripture, it seems, especially when we consider the Holy Spirit, the Hebrews considered specifically the Spirit as feminine, okay? Uh, it'd be interesting to investigate that and figure out, okay, what's really behind all of that? Why would that be the case? But nevertheless, it was, and it is. And when you think of the Trinity and you think of God being spirit, you realize that, okay, listen, your image of God may be limiting God, okay? He's not just this this angry, bearded, muscular white man off in the distance, okay? There's so much more to God, and I would argue that that's not God at all. Uh, but let's not limit God to these constructs that we have created based on a biological gender um, you know, social constructs of what it means to be man and female. Because God is God. God, that's that doesn't that that doesn't fit who God is. Okay, um, and then you know, I, uh, of course, lots of other things. God being white, you realize. What, 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 don't limit God to these. When you stop limiting God to these, um, these constructs, then or social structures of what it means to be male and female, when you realize, well, God isn't a person, he's a spirit, that starts really setting in. Well, a lot of other things just kind of start fading away, okay? Um, and then, you know, one of the, one of those, one of the things that, I, that I, I wrestled with was the sense of God was being, uh, God was angry. And, of course, I've already related a couple of different factors as to, you know, why I, as I saw God this way and what reinforced that. Um, and honestly, I think it's how I saw all authority figures, right? Being angry, um, and God being an authority figure, you know, you put two together. The picture, the picture most often painted of God was one where He was just waiting for me to mess up, and people were uh, people were painted um, as unworthy, and so God is just waiting to you know push His finger down upon us. Um, but as I said, Jesus shattered that image for me. Uh, not only that, when I began to really understand the concept of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, looking through the lens of, of, of love and replacing the term love for God, because God is love, right? Uh, with 1 Corinthians 13, it, painted a, it opened up a whole new world for me, painted a completely different picture for me. And still, still kind of wrestled with it and trying to figure out how it fits into everything. But now I'm not so interested in seeing how it fits into everything because I'm more interested in seeing God through the lens of Jesus. And whenever I realize that God is love and expects us to be, he wants us to be love. Like we, we're in the flow. We're going to be love, right? That's the goal. The transformation is to become truly human. And that truly humanness, which Jesus portrayed, is a picture of love, which is why Paul says the most important thing is this, faith demonstrated in love. Uh, that's the reality, right? We focus on so many other things and we miss this point. Um, and whenever I began to understand that, it, it really began to tear down this image that I had of God being, being angry, um, being upset, 
And I began to also learn about grace, which is something I still learn about Russell. I still think that we limit the concept of grace. And our picture of grace is, um, you know, not complete necessarily. Of course, that may just be me and my nature and always thinking there's more to the story. Um, but nevertheless, because I did not grow up with this concept of grace, and it's, it, you know, it's something that I had to grow into into my adult years, uh, especially within the last 10 years, um, or maybe a little more than that, but especially, I would say, yeah, especially within the last 10 years, um, you know, understanding the concept of grace. It's so much easier to see God as love than God as, as being, being angry. Uh, looking out to just, you know, wait for me to mess up. And um, and so, you know, that and then, you know, the concept I mentioned, I think I mentioned um, the idea of God being distant, and I explained a bit about that. Um, you know, I began to look at uh, these words and I began to really believe. Uh, and quite honestly, look, uh, scripture explains, said this, right? In him we live and move and have our very existence. Okay. But it wasn't until I looked at things outside of scripture that that became real to me. Um, the Bible did not instill that idea of God being being always there around with me. I know we have theological concepts about God is omni this and omni that, but who actually lives in that? Who actually believes in that and lives according in a reality according to that right um i would argue that those are just just a set of you know beliefs or ideas that people are willing to go along with for whatever reason um but for me the reality was that it wasn't until i began to look at things outside of scripture that that became real to me Um, i love cosmology astronomy i love uh, you know, looking uh, out at the stars and the planets and space and con- considering uh, the science behind uh, that helps explain a lot of those things. I love looking at quantum physics. I like looking at the things that you cannot see with a naked eye, you know, the, the, the smaller inward, you know, those little uni- micro universes that are there and how they act and respond, which, by the way, most of the time they do not act and respond according to the rules as we see them. Uh, in our reality, you know, when the things that we can see with the naked eye or even how things seem to function out in space. Um, And that's where I see God. That's where I see God, which means that God is all around us. He is in us. In Him we live and move and have our very existence is more of a reality than it is just a nice, pithy phrase that can be used um, in poems and songs or at the close of a message. In him, we live and move and have a very existence is so much more real to me as I contemplate existence. How, what makes be living a reality and moving and being. Um, so yeah, I began to, that, that began, that process began to help me realize, oh man, God is. He is. He is here, right? He, as I say, He, God, God is here. Um, whatever image you have of God, right? Whatever helps you see that. Make sure that it helps you see that God is here in a very real way. And so, maybe you might ask, what's your mental visualization 
of God now? Well, honestly, it's something I still wrestle with. I don't see, I choose, you know, I lost this image of God, and now I choose not to try to get that back. I'm very intentional about that. I see God more, what's helpful for me is to see God more as energy, see God more as essence, something that transcends and anything in the physical sense, I have a hard time seeing it, mentally visualizing it, transcending anything. And so energy and essence, those concepts help me uh, understand God or visualize God in this sense, um, which, by the way, is part of why I'm able to, it helps me remember that God is in him we live and move and have our very existence, that, that thing, right? Uh, it is still something I wrestle with, and uh, I like wrestling with it. Um, I like being challenged beyond all of this. And so, yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. Um, that's my my image of God. Um, that's the picture that I have, the mental visualization, if you will, um, that, that, I, that I have of God. And I hope that, uh, you know, maybe maybe this maybe you can relate to some of this. Maybe some of this challenges you. Okay, again, remember, my perspective is not right or wrong. It's just it just is. And so. You know, maybe some of this challenges you. I hope that you'll wrestle with it as well. And I challenge you to consider what your own mental visualizations of God are and uh, where they've come from. And uh, are they helpful? And, you know, just being honest uh, with yourself about where you are with this and how and, and really seeing how that affects that relationship that you have, you know, with God. And so on our on our next podcast, I'm excited for the next couple of weeks because I have a couple of people that have interviewed. Um, they're going to relate their own stories, um, you know, get a bit of their their background, you know, and, they, and here's the, they're just everyday people who are on their journey, learning as they go, okay, just like just like you and me, um, and I'm hoping that uh, you'll benefit from those things, they'll be helpful for you um, to understand, you know, where you are, and that, uh, and in so many instances, there are people who are just like you, very similar experiences. But at the end of the day, I just want to challenge you, uh, quite honestly, challenge you to come out of that comfort zone and um, challenge you to see God in maybe new and uh, refreshing ways. And so I hope this has been beneficial to you in some small way, and I hope you'll join us next time as we continue to explore what it looks like to become like Jesus from the inside.